Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning. So good to see you all this morning, and uh, those of you at home, I can't see you, but uh, we're glad you're with us this morning, joining us online. Um, good to see some faces I haven't seen in a while. Welcome back. Um, hey, today we're, we're marking the beginning of our solemn assembly uh, for our church community, which is a week that is dedicated to seeking the Lord together in community. And uh, with it, we're launching a three-week series called Heart Habits. You know, Proverbs 3 tells us to guard our hearts. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Give Karen a hand. She's amazing. Yeah. Oh, brother, she says, yeah. Oh, that's better. You know, my eyes at 40, that extra little distance is a real bother. So, uh, actually, I turned 50 this year, just in case you're wondering. Uh, so, yeah, with, with the advent of Solemn Assembly, we're also starting a three-week series called Heart Habits. And, uh, you know, Proverbs 3 tells us that we're supposed to guard our hearts because out of our hearts flows all of life. So whatever direction your heart is going, chances are that's going to be the direction of your entire life. So it's important to take care of your hearts. And this guarding of your hearts, you know, to guard something is, is not passive. Instead, it's something that's, that's active. So, so it's intentional. It takes practice. So for the next few weeks, we're just going to be looking at some heart habits that will help you to take care of your heart. So we are going to be looking at three spiritual disciplines. We are going to be looking at silence, rest, and today we're going to be looking at waiting. So let me start with a question. How many of you like waiting? How many of you love long lineups? How about, how about slow traffic? Sitting on the phone waiting for customer service. Yes. Did you wake up this morning and say, I cannot wait to wait today? Because that would be ironic. You know, in a world of 5G, fast food, microwaves, real-time news, waiting feels like a personal slight. It feels like a monumental insult in our culture. So I want what I want. I want how I want it. I want it when I want it. This seems to be the mantra of our day. And if I don't get it, then it seems like it's a fundamental insult to me. I mean, shouldn't high-speed everything be a, you know, a human right for most of us? You know, a few years back, the, the Timex company, the watch company, conducted a survey, and they wanted to find out how long people would be willing to wait in certain scenarios. And, and the results are actually super interesting. So I'd like to see this morning how you compare with all of the results of the Timex survey. Um, and you can have some fun with this. You can talk to the person beside you. Um, chances are you're connected with them anyway, so um, you know, masks are, keep your masks on. But uh, here's the question. How, how long would you wait for this? How long would you wait? Um, how long would you wait before you honk at a car in front of you that stopped at a green light? In seconds, how long would you wait? Talk to the person beside you. <laughs> All right, the average person would wait 13 seconds. What? <laughs> you Albertans, your big trucks. Everyone driving in the left lane. All right. Uh, 
How long would you wait in seconds before you shush people who are talking in a movie theater? Go. Average time? 26 seconds. Oh, shush. How long before you take a really good seat from somebody who's walked away from it at a coffee shop in seconds? You Canadians, you're so polite. Average time? 26 seconds. I know how rude, right? They must have done this in New York, right? Now, let's talk minutes. How long would you be willing to wait for a table at a restaurant in minutes? <laughs> Average time, yeah, do you have your... Well, let's factor in. How long would you wait? Average time, 13 minutes. I know, right? Uh, okay, this one's for the single people. Um, how long would you wait for a blind date to show up before you leave in minutes? Twenty minutes is the average. That's kind of kind. Okay, last one. How long would you wait for the last person to show up for Thanksgiving dinner before you start eating? Micah says zero. <laughs> Twenty minutes is the average. Twenty minutes. You know. You know. The truth is. The truth is. Is is that nobody likes to wait. Right? Nobody likes to wait. In fact, we're kind of tired of waiting for even mundane things. We're tired of waiting for ketchup. Any of you remember the Heinz ketchup bottle, the glass ones? Sometimes you'll go to a restaurant and you'll find it, right? Uh, it takes a long time to get that Heinz ketchup out of a glass bottle. And I remember watching commercials when I was a kid, and there's all these different techniques, like there's the, the tap on the side, and there's the, right, and then you get your thing covered, or you do the, the, the knife up top and it kind of slides out, or you just kind of slowly wait. And apparently there's a right angle that you can have to get the ketchup out of the bottle. Well, if you've ever tried to do it, you, you, under, you understand that getting ketchup out of a bottle is kind of an exercise in waiting. Well, not long ago, there was an article in Time magazine about a new technology that might make ketchup bottle tapping a thing of the past. Reportedly, ketchup flows out of a bottle at a rate of 0 0.028 miles per hour. That is slower than a Galapagos tortoise, which walks at a pace of 0.16 miles per hour. I bet you're happy you got up this morning if only to discover that fact, right? So about a decade ago, a team of engineers and nanotechnologists at MIT developed a new product, and the product was called LiquiGlide. So it's a liquid that's rigid like a solid, but at the same time, it lubricates like a liquid. So if you coat an inside of a bottle with liquid glide, your ketchup will slide out faster than a Galapagos turtle, is what they discovered. And the, science, the scientists are hoping that this will revolutionize the sauce industry, because as it turns out, the sauce industry is worth about $20 billion a year in the world. That's a lot of sauce. Which kind of makes you wonder, right? What is it about our lives that makes us so impatient that we're not even willing to wait for ketchup? Now, we can folk pun, uh, folk poke fun at our impatience, but for many of us, there are some very serious and difficult kinds of waiting. There's a person who's waiting with a serious health condition. 
who's waiting to hear their prognosis from the doctor. There's the childless couple who've been waiting for months or even years to start a family. There's the waiting of a single person who wonders if they'll ever meet the right person and they don't want to compromise their values or their standards, but waiting seems so very hard in a culture of hookups. There's the person waiting for a new job in a stale economy. There's, there's the spouse waiting for change to happen when she feels caught in a hurting or failing marriage. There's the parent waiting for their child to find their way back to God. And for all of us, there's the waiting for an end to lockdowns, face masks, and political polarization. It seems we're all waiting. And many of us have felt the heavy burden of waiting. You know, the renowned author and theologian Louis Smedes once said this. He says, waiting is our destiny. As creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for, we wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending that we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. So today I want to talk to you about waiting on God. And at the end of today's message, I'm going to call us all, as the people of God, into a week of waiting together. And as we go through it, I'm hoping today that we'll discover some principles about waiting. So if you've got a Bible, I encourage you, digital or paper, to turn with me to Luke 18, in your favorite translation, whatever that might be. And we're going to go through a teaching of Jesus together. And I'm going to read it. It's going to be on screen. Um, and also, if you want notes, uh, you can go online, thecrosspointchurch.ca, and uh, you can find message notes. You can download and follow there as well. But I'm going to read the text. You can follow along, and then I'm going to invite you to pray with me. So let's, let's look at what Jesus says. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, although I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of God. Can we pray together? And as we pray for this morning's message, I want us to pause just for a moment to pray also for Ukraine and for what's happening in our world. Lord, we thank you for this word, and we ask that you would apply this teaching to our hearts, that we might wait on you better. Lord, our hearts turn to the world and what's happening right now, and we acknowledge that uh, in many ways we feel powerless. But we also acknowledge, Lord, that you are powerful and capable. And so we pray for world leaders, Lord that they would turn to peace, they would turn to you. We pray for an end to conflict and war. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are in Russia and in the Ukraine and in all of Europe, followers of you who call you in your name. Would you protect them? Would you help them to be light and salt and bringers of peace in this time? Would you preserve your church and cause it to grow 
would you um, bring an end to any persecution that may be there? And Lord, would you just um, bring justice to the world? Bring justice. Our heart looks not only for what you will do here, but when you return. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring peace, shalom to our world. And thank you that the words that we've just shared with you and we've just prayed to you do not go unheard, but you hear us and so many others around the world who are praying. And so, Lord, we lift up Ukraine, Russia, Europe, all the nations and leaders of the world, NATO, to you. And we say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in this parable, Jesus, the master teacher, teaches us about waiting. Now, it's important to note that this parable focuses on Jesus and his coming kingdom. It's really talking about when Jesus comes and he returns and he rights all wrongs and he fully restores all things. So it's about the big wait, the big wait for followers of Jesus who long for Jesus' return and who cry out for Jesus' return. But still, we can also mine from this parable principles that are going to help us in the small weights that we experience in life because God is who God is and God is consistent throughout all of life. So that's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to explore three principles from this text about waiting. And here's the first one. Expect waiting. You know, sometimes God's answers to our prayers are are not yes and they're not no, but oftentimes they are wait. And we pick this up from the story. I mean, there's a judge who's holding out. There's a widow who needs something and who's relentless in her waiting. But this isn't really a story about a widow, is it? No, this is a story about you. And it's a story about me. And it's a story about our relationship with God. You know, waiting is a, is a major theme in the Bible. In fact, you will find the commandment to wait on the Lord 48 times in, 43 times in the Old Testament. Here's an example. Uh, Psalm 37 verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself or the one who prospers in his way or the man who carries out evil devices. So it says, wait on the Lord, even when things are desperate, even when the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, when the wicked thrive, when the righteous grieve, no matter how bleak things get, wait on the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. You know, waiting on God is actually woven in the fabric of the stories in both the Old and New Testament. I mean, think about Abraham. Abraham was, had to wait until he was 75 years old, until he was told he would become a parent. And then he had to wait 24 more years for the fulfillment of that promise. That's a long wait. Israel was told that they would become a great nation, but they had to wait 400 years before they escaped the slavery to Egypt. God told Moses that Israel would eventually get into and reach the promised land, but they had to wait 40 years in the desert. You know, when Israel was in exile, they were told that the Messiah would come, and they waited generation after generation for centuries for the coming of their Messiah. I mean, we sing the song every Christmas, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And we find in the stories, uh, in the Gospels, you know the story maybe of Simeon and Anna, who, who, who were waiting for the consolation of Israel, who were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. I mean, Anna was 84 years old, and it said that she prayed day and night in the temple courts for the consolation of Israel. She worshipped, she fasted, she called on God, waiting for his, his great redemption plan to kind of spring into action. 84 years. 
You know, when the disciples rallied to Jesus, they kept waiting for him, waiting for him. Jesus, when will you bring the kingdom? When will you bring it by force? You know, they wanted Jesus to overcome their Roman oppressors and to usher in a new age. But of course, Jesus' victory came about in a very unexpected way, a way that people never imagined. He was crucified. He was dead. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the grave, demonstrating his victory over sin, death, the grave, and the forces of evil. And then before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples this one thing. He said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. And then what did he tell them to do? He told them to wait. And so they gathered in the upper room until the Holy Spirit came and the church was birthed in power. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, expect to wait. Now, we don't always know why God makes us wait. You ever wonder that? Why is it that God makes us wait? We don't know why God doesn't answer our prayers, but, but there are, of course, some obvious reasons. I think most of them, us know them. I mean, sometimes God doesn't, uh, makes us wait because our prayers are just meaningless or inconsequential. Uh, for example, if you are waiting on God for the Oilers to get into the playoffs, you might be waiting a long time. Because, yes, it will take a miracle. And, yes, there might be more important matters that God is concerned with than the fact that the Oilers get into the playoffs. But then sometimes our prayers are, are even contradictory. Like when I play, pray that my flight leaves on time, meanwhile there's somebody hurrying to the airport praying that the flight will be delayed. Or when I pray for sun on my garden in the city because, hey, I watered it a little bit too much, but meanwhile there's a farmer outside of the city who's suffering from a drought and praying for more rain. Contradiction. But then there's, I mean, just prayers that are just really selfish, aren't there? Like when I pray that I'll win the lottery. Because we know everybody who wins the lottery has a much better life, right? Statistically speaking, that's not true, okay? So what determines God's engagement in our prayers? What is it that causes God to answer our prayers? Well, from the story we read, the parable that Jesus shared, it's his justice. As a matter of fact, we see this word appear three times in the parable, in verses 3, 5, and 7. The woman wants justice, the judge gives her justice, and God will bring about justice, it says, to his chosen ones. So God's justice is a key determiner of his intervention in our lives. See, God's purpose, his ultimate purpose, is to bring about complete justice for all of creation. You know, in the end, he's going to right all wrongs, he's going to fix everything, he's going to bring justice and peace to all of the world. And what this means is that God is always going to do the right things for the right reasons. Because he is a good judge, he's a fair judge, and he is a just judge. And he sees all things, and he knows all things. He's written the end of the book, and he's moving us towards the end of the book. He's moving history and creation towards this ultimate final end. And so God understands way better than we do what is going to bring about his ultimate plan of justice, his righteousness to the world. And, and we don't know how our prayers fit into God's larger plan. The truth is that nobody knows the mind of God. Paul wrote that said at his letter to, to the Romans in, in Romans chapter 11, um, and we're going to preach about this in a, in a few weeks when we talk about this, but he says, who has known the mind of God? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God knows way better than we do what is going to bring about justice. The Scottish theologian uh, P.T. Forsyth, he once said this, he says, We shall come one day to a heaven where we shall gratefully know that God's great refusals were sometimes the true answers to our truest prayers. 
And of course, there's some less obvious reasons why God doesn't answer every single prayer that we give to him. You know, sometimes God has us wait actually because he does have something better for us. It's not always the case, but sometimes that's the reason. Or he allows us to struggle in prayer so that he can draw us into a deeper relationship with himself. Have you ever considered that waiting may in fact be a gift to you from God? Could it be that waiting is part of God's formation plan for your character? Maybe what matters in the waiting is not so much what you get from the waiting, but who you become in the waiting. Now, it's hard to know why we wait, but one thing is certain. Every one of us will wait, expect it. But here's the second principle we can learn from the parable. Waiting means to keep coming. It means to keep coming with God, to God with our prayers, and to not give up. See, the widow in the story, as you gather, she was persistent. I mean, she kept coming and again and again and again to the same place. And in the same way, Jesus says, you know, we need, as the people of God, to cry out to God continually. I mean, we see this reinforced throughout the New Testament. I mean, Paul told the Romans to be faithful in their prayers, Romans 12, 12. He told the church in Thessalonica to pray continually, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. So waiting on God is, is a persistent, active, sometimes even painful pursuit of God for his promises. And it sometimes involves just clinging to God in seasons of desperation. It's this continual decision where we say to God, God, I'm going to trust you. I am going to obey you, even though things are not turning out the way I want them to, and they may never turn out the way I want them to. I'm trusting you with everything, God. There's no other option. That's what waiting on the Lord is. Now, there's something really interesting I I, I do want to point out from the parable. Um, It's the judge's reason for ultimately granting the widow's request. So in the ESV, the translation I'm using, it says that, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, is the judge really afraid of this old woman? So you might be reading this from a different translation this morning, and you might have noticed that your Bible probably translates this portion of the story a little bit differently. And this is because it's really hard to actually translate this part of the text from Greek to English. And this is because it's an idiom. In other words, it's a figure of speech that makes sense in Greek but doesn't translate well into English. I mean, we've got all sorts of idioms in our own language. Like, so he ran away, you know, with his tail between his legs. Try to translate that into Greek, okay, or into another, like, what does that mean, tail between his legs? Well, we have an image of a dog that's really afraid, running away with his tail, but it's an idiom. For us, we don't even think about that anymore. We just think, oh, he's really skittish, and he ran away. That's an idiom. This is an idiom that's translating from the Greek language now into English. It's really hard to understand and to translate. So translators have done their best to do this in the version that you're reading. But the phrase literally translates to give a black eye. He's afraid that she is going to give him a black eye. And again, this might seem strange that a judge would be afraid that a little old widow woman is going to give him a black eye. But the idiom actually means to bring shame to somebody. We have a similar phrase in our own, rec- in our own English language. We will say, he's got a black mark on his record. Okay? So in Jesus' day, if you had a black eye, 
there was a good chance that you were in a fight, and there was a very good chance that you got the worst of it. And so if you were walking around with a black eye in the community, that was a mark of shame for them. So what the judge is worried about is that his character will be shamed. You imagine him sitting in his court, and every single day, this same widow comes again and again and again. That's going to be a black eye on his record. That's going to be a mark on his record. That's going to be a mark of shame. He can't refuse her forever, and his sense of justice is at stake. Now, it's important to note that when we read this, it's not supposed to give us a complete picture of what God is like. You have to be careful when you read parables that you don't read too much into the details of a parable because most parables are really trying to just convey a very simple truth or a basic idea. You see, this judge in the parable was an unjust judge. It says he neither feared God nor people. But our God is so much different, so much more than this judge. Our God is a fair judge. He's a good judge. He's a just judge. And the point of the parable is this, is that if an unjust judge can do this, how much more can a good heavenly father do this for us who cry out for help? And friends, this is why we are to be persistent in our prayers. We're not to give up. Because God, God himself is just. He will ultimately keep his promises. He will ultimately prove himself to us to be faithful. Here's the third principle. Waiting involves expectant faith. Let's look at that final statement Jesus makes in the parable. He asks a really striking question. He says, when the Son of Man comes, so when Jesus comes back to fix everything, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, how will we be waiting as the people of God? See, waiting ultimately involves persistent, expectant faith. See, the widow woman came to the judge because she expected eventually that she would get an answer. Otherwise, she wouldn't come to the judge, right? In the same way, we, we wait on God, we trust God with an active faith. You know, the Psalms describe waiting as something that's, that's supposed to be done with expectation. Here's a great example. Psalm chapter 5 and verse 3. Here's what it says. It says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Friends, God invites us to wait on him with expectant faith, to trust him over time. And it might take days. It might take months. It might, I mean, it might even take years. I'm sure some of you have been praying for family members for years of your life. It might take that. But he, he encourages us and he calls us to do that over time with expectant faith. And I've got to tell you, I mean, I don't know about you, but this kind of waiting is, is challenging. Because it's a bold and it's a daring commitment. I mean, we often think that, I mean, praying for miracles in the moment requires the most faith. But what about trusting God over time when the outcome is uncertain? I mean, doesn't that also require a tremendous amount of faith? Maybe even a different kind of faith? The author Brendan Manning, he said this, he once wrote, to be grateful for an unanswered prayer, to give thanks in a state of interior desolation, to trust God in the love of God in the face of the marvels, cruel circumstances, obscenities, and commonplaces of life is to whisper a doxology in the darkness. You know, when God seems silent and the waiting seems long, expectant faith is never easy. But it is possible. It is possible. 
And let me share with you this morning that it's, it's all the more possible to have expectant faith if we remind ourselves of who God is and who God has made us to be. Remember from the parable, I mean, our, our God is, is so much different than the unjust judge in the parable. But as it turns out, we are also so much different than the widow who's in the parable. We actually have a far greater identity. We have a far better relationship with the judge than she did. And, and it's important to see this contrast in the New Testament and in the Bible so that we can have expectant faith and, and that it might grow up in our hearts. You see, the widow came to God, came to the judge as a stranger. But we come to God as family. Matthew 7.11 says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to get good gifts to your children, how much, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, in, a, in that culture, the widow would have had very little or next to no access to the judge. But we have free access to God at any time. Ephesians 2.18, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access, the Jews and Gentiles, in one spirit to the Father. The widow had no guarantee that she would be heard, but we have the promises of God, and they are always yes in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, and that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. You know, the widow came to a court of law to receive a verdict, but we come to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, we can have confident, expectant faith because Jesus is the better judge. We know that Jesus is the one who will eventually judge the whole world. Jesus is the one who will sit on the judge's bench. And yet, Jesus is also the one who stepped down from his bench and took our place. Our future judge is also our defendant. So when Jesus died on the cross, he, prayed for, uh, he paid for our crimes against God. When we make him Lord of our lives, he pronounces over us, we are not guilty. And when God looks upon us, he sees the perfect, spotless life of Jesus, his record. And so because of that, now, each and every one of us, you, today, tomorrow, you, we can approach the bench, the throne of grace, with confidence. We can pursue God with expectation. You know, the widow may have felt, well, I'm bothering the judge every time I come, but I'm going to keep coming anyway. For us, there is no bother. Our Father loves to be bothered by us. The Father loves when His children interrupt His work. And so Jesus put it this way, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? It's a rhetorical question. And the answer is yes and amen. And so friends, God calls us to wait on him with patience and expectation. What is it that you're waiting on God for? Do you know today that his ear is bent towards you? So today marks the beginning of our, of our week of solemn assembly. And, and friends, we want to invite you to wait on the Lord together. And so, how do we do that? What's, what's going on in this next week? Well, we've put together a, an entire week of opportunities for you to connect with God. Um, so, out, outside on the, um, on the island out there in the lobby, we have some printed copies of our Solemn Assembly Prayer Guide. Um, 
if you have digital access, we encourage you, don't grab a printed one, but we want to make those available for people who don't have access to the digital copies. You can find the digital copies online on our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca slash events. Um, you can also, you'll find them in, on Realm and all the postings. That, we put it everywhere, so it will be very difficult for you not to find the digital version, okay? We, we breadcrumbs, trails. Um, so we have that out there. We also have what's, what's called our 714 pause prayer guide. And what we want to invite you to do is every day this week is to pause at 714 every morning. So maybe even pull out your phone, set an alarm for 714 a.m., set an alarm for 714 p.m. If that's too early for you or too late for you, then change it up. That's okay, right? Uh, but the idea is that we're going to pray together the same prayers at 714 in the morning and 714 at night, calling out to the Lord day and night. And we want to invite you to do that. So we have a prayer guide there that will really help you with your prayers if you want to pray in your own way during that time, we encourage you to do that as well. But we want to invite you to wait on God together. We also want to invite you into three events that we're going to be hosting this week. So on Mondays, we are going to have, Monday, which is tomorrow, okay, uh, tomorrow, um, we are going to have two prayer walks that are going to be happening in this community. We have an earlier time, I think it's 4.30, and the other one is at 6 after that. Um, and you can sign up for those online and join us, or you can just show up, that's fine, but um, letting us know, we'll make sure that we wait, we're meeting here, and then we're going to go uh, out, and we did an earlier one so that families can do it, so that you can get your kids out and be involved in that way, or maybe you have teenagers and later is better for you, that's okay, but we want to encourage you to join us, we want to pray in this community and for this community, that's on Monday. On Wednesday, here in the worship center, we're going to have a, a place of repentance, Wednesday, as you know, is the beginning of Lent, and traditionally within the church calendar, it is Ash Wednesday, and it's a day of repentance. It's a day of, of being able to turn away from what is killing you and destroying your life and turning to the one Jesus who can give you life and light, and so I think in COVID, a lot of us have developed destructive habits, have developed um, maybe even a, a heart that's just been darkened, you know, in relationship to others. I don't know what it is for you. But this is an opportunity to come clean. And so you can book a spot, come in, we'll have a room prepared for you, a place of silence, a place of repentance, a place where you can just book a time to come clean with God and to begin again. And so we have that available on Wednesday. And then on Friday, here, we're going to have a, uh, a celebration of worship and prayer where we worship Jesus together, where we celebrate community, and we call out to God for our families, for our church, for our city, and for the world. And so we hope that you'll join us on Friday for that. Now, there are other things that are, you're going to find in the, in the prayer guide. There's a guide there for fasting. I would encourage you this week to maybe actually spend a time fasting, whether it's a meal or whether it's for an entire day. But if you've never done that before and you want information about how to do that, it's in the prayer guide. Um, we also encourage you to pray, pray as a family. And there's a family prayer guide in there, some very practical ways that you can pray with your children or with your teenagers. And finally, our, our encouragement, of course, is that you would step into Lent. So Lent is um, it's, it's, it's not intended to be a works-based righteousness. The idea of Lent is just to simply give up something in your life so that you might take hold of God, which is basically the principle of fasting. And so for this season of Lent between now and Easter, is there something in your life that for you would actually be very, very valuable for you to give up? and to surrender it to God. Um, and it may be something that's taking control of your life. It may be something that's become an idol in your life. And so this is an opportunity for you to say during this season of Lent, 
I'm going to demonstrate to God that he is far more important than this, that Jesus is my source of life and not this thing. Is there something during Lent that you can take, uh, let go of so that you might take hold of God? And so, friends, we want to invite you during this season of solemn assembly together to wait on God. We hope that you will pray daily with us. We hope that you'll join us for our prayer events, that you will fast, that you'll participate in this season of Lent, and that together we might call on the Lord and wait on the Lord. So we invite you to do that. But let me return to my, next, my previous question. What are you waiting on God for? What have you been waiting on God for? What are those pressing concerns in your life? Is it a family member? Is it the season of life you find yourself in? Is there a great need that you have? What is it that you're waiting on the Lord for? Do you know that the Lord asks you and invites you to wait expectantly and the Lord promises to bring justice in your time of need? So let's take a moment just as we end to pray and then I'm going to turn it over for announcements. Can we pray together? Let's pray. We thank you that we have a heavenly father, that you are a heavenly father, and that through faith in Christ, you've invited us into your family. And we thank you, that Lord, that you promise that uh, when we come to you, you're not going to give us a rock, you're not going to give us a scorpion, but you're going to give us fish and bread. You're going to give us what we need. And so, Lord, we turn our hearts towards you this morning yet again in expectant faith, and we wait on you. So wherever you are, whether you're at home or whether you're here in the room, I want you to just take a moment, just once again, breath that request to God. Say, God, I want to give this to you again. God, would you be faithful in answering? Take a moment. Lord, would you give us grace that we might be persistent in prayer? Would you remind us of our need for prayer? Would you call us to prayer? Would you bring us to our knees? Would you wake us up in the night that we might pray to you? Lord, make us a people of prayer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.